0: Hey, hockey fans, welcome to Across the Pond Hockey Talks Volume 24. I'm your host, Chris Ivany, and my guest today grew up and learned the game of hockey in beautiful Mississauga, Ontario. Although his playing career ended after high school, he continues to follow hockey closer than most. His knowledge of the game and everything that happens behind the scenes is impressive. He's been living and teaching in Hong Kong for the last seven years. He's actively involved in Hong Kong's Ball Hockey League. And recently, captain Team Hong Kong at the Asian Ball Hockey Championships, please welcome to across the pond hockey talks, mr Paul mcgoy how you doing today, Paul? great, thanks for having me on chris you're very welcome and uh, I'm honored to have you on i 'm looking forward to having a nice little hockey chat here today
1: yeah, it sh- should be great. Um, you know I was just listening to your latest episodes the other day,
0: so i'm really excited to uh, to get on here. Awesome, man. And first of all, I want to congratulate you. Uh, you became a dad this year. You have a beautiful little girl. How's fatherhood been treating you so far? Um, it's great. I'm, I mean, as, as I'm sure most of your
1: listeners um, can surmise, yep. I've been home a lot more than yep. I usually would be at this time because of uh, everything that's going on. So I've gotten a lot of extra time with her that I yeah. wouldn't have otherwise. So that's been really nice.
0: Yeah, it's nice to actually hear a silver lining to uh, being stuck at home. And that is one. Definitely you get to spend more time with your little girl.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. And it's amazing how quickly they change. Um, she's almost seven months, and yeah. uh, she's she every day is something different. So it's, it's really cool.
0: Awesome, man. Congratulations uh, to you and Ashley. Um, so listen, we're here to talk hockey. How excited are you for, for the play-in round to start tonight at midnight? Uh, I really
1: can't wait. So, I mean, um, it, it's uh, it's very nice
0: to have some
1: sort of sense of normalcy yeah. uh, in our lives right now with everything that's going on in the world. And I think uh, you know hockey, for for me and I'm sure for you, yeah. is a big part of that. And for sure. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I I can't wait. And it's because it's so unique too. I think it's a it's a really interesting um, sort of different kind of excitement I have for this because I really don't know what to expect.
0: Exactly. I I feel the same way because a lot of people are saying, you know, they're coming up with their theories on which teams are going to do better in this kind of format and why. And it's just, they're just guessing. I mean, nobody Mm. really knows, but uh, it's going to be very interesting to see for sure. Yeah. All right, Paul. um, I always knew that you had a really sharp mind for hockey. And I'm looking forward to picking that brain today. And I want to start off with uh, the most recent changes that happened this year with the salary cap. Mm. Can you explain a little bit what the cap is, and uh, and then we'll get into how how these teams are going to survive for the next three years?
1: Sure. So basically, uh, the salary cap is determined by what's called hockey-related revenue. So essentially, what this means, hockey-related revenue is like all the money that the NHL makes um, not just through you know ticket sales and TV deals, but merchandise, whatever else. Basically, they come up with that big number and they divide it between all the teams, and that's the salary
0: cap. Okay, and what right? is it at currently?
1: Eighty-one point five million.
0: Eighty-one point five million. Okay. Y-
1: yes, and it's gone up pretty steadily um, since it was instituted in two thousand and. Uh, five after the lockout. Mm-hmm. So it's been pretty pretty consistently going up. Not all the time, but every year usually it goes up uh, you know, a couple million or so. Mm-hmm. Now, um, a big part of that uh, with the salary cap is what's called escrow. Okay. So basically how that works, a really simple sort of explanation is there's a 50-50 split between owners and um, players. So the 50-50 uh, percent goes to the owners, Mm -hmm. and 50% goes to the players. And what they do to ensure that 50-50 split, because they don't know what the number is going to be for the upcoming year, is they do this thing called escrow, which is basically like a percent that gets taken out of players' salaries um, to sort of hedge their bets for next year. Gotcha. Um, Right. So usually it's like, you know, a few percent here or there. Next year, they are going to get Crushed. Right. with escrow 20% is what they're and saying is that
0: for the next three years it's gonna start that
1: permanent good question okay. they they said they're gonna start with that and then it's gonna come down from there they said they'll, they won't ever make it more than 20% is what they're saying okay. they're trying to max it at that but basically so that that means 20% of salaries are are gone it's like a it's like a, a tax almost on the players and mm-hmm. that and that, that gets taken out and then how far it comes down from that amount um, depends on how hockey recovers from this gotcha so uh, they're
0: kind of just playing it safe kind of like um like a yes. three-year safety net
1: yes and right. so that that 81.5 million as far as I understand that ain't moving for right. three years okay and then after that it might go up mm-hmm. like a couple of million depends right so that's where they're at I think
0: okay so what does that mean for the team for like for players in terms of future contracts?
1: Well, I mean, it, it's obviously, you know, it's kind of worrisome. Part of the reason, you know, they just, um, they got this collective bargaining agreement done so quick, I think, is everyone wants security right now. Yeah. So, I mean, every single time, and this isn't just hockey, like you look at baseball, you look at all different leagues, whenever they have the collective bargaining agreement comes up, when it expires, it's a pain, right? It's yeah. like... There's strikes, there's delays. You know, we've lost um, seasons in, you know, in, in baseball. I think uh, when, you know, when the Expos had their best team, I'm pretty sure. Um, and then in hockey, um, you know, we lost a whole season and we've lost half seasons before. This time, they just got it done. They got it done in like two weeks Right. Uh, because everyone is worried. You know, they want, to, they want to make sure that they get paid. They can't afford. I think the players and the owners know and the league knows you can't lose another year right now right. Um, to anything other than COVID, because if you, if you, you know, play hardball with this CBA, it's, it, you can't, you know, you can't bleed anymore. So right. I think that's part of um, the equation and it kind of speaks to how people are are feeling uneasy. Um, I think in terms of the contracts, this is, just my I've heard some people express similar ideas, but in my opinion, I think the um, the teams are going to cling to their elite talent and right. they're going to still try to pay those guys. I think the guys who are going to get squeezed are the middle class.
0: Right. Well, that makes sense. And just uh, just a side note, has this probably been the fastest CBA of all times?
1: I don't doubt it. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I, it's got to be like they and it, it shows you like if they really want to, they can get it done quickly. You know, but but but, uh, um, you know, I guess it um, when they are motivated, they can get it done really fast. And this time they they were.
0: Right. So let's talk about those capped teams and how the next three years is going to affect them.
1: Um, Right. So a good place to start would be on the team I know the most about, which I'm a fan of, which is the Leafs.
0: Okay. let's Um, start with the Leafs, the richest team in the NHL.
1: Yes, I know. but even,
0: <laughs> even though they're
1: you know they're rich, they're finding it harder and harder to exert that advantage over the league. Did you hear what happened with um, uh, recently how they were using the workout facilities? And I did uh, not. Oh, so what happened was since the teams are coming to the bubble, they, uh, they've realized the other owners have realized that um, the Leafs keep their facilities open year round yeah. so their players can use it. and the other owners didn't like that. And so now the Leafs can't do that anymore. They're they not allowed
0: e- to have their gym open all year.
1: No, nope. Can't use their own building oh for their gosh. own players in the summer. Yeah, because the other owners didn't like it. So yeah. So what's uh, the? Re-
0: that's crazy. Yeah, it is. I just so, assumed they were open all year for those guys every ring. No, no, not
1: some of the teams aren't right. They can't okay. like they don't have all their facilities. So gotcha. the other owner, yeah,
0: so they share yeah, facilities and stuff like that, like with yeah, other like, teams and other events.
1: Yeah, like ML, MLSC, you know, and then whatever they have at the ACC and, you know, um, maybe some things that, where's their HL team? Uh, RICO, is that their practice rink? I'm um, not sure. Basically, yeah, they had these facilities that were open all year yeah. and the, the uh, other teams didn't like it. And so now they can't use them all wow. year. So there That's that is. Crazy. But well, I'm sure they can
0: find other spots to work out.
1: Yeah, I know <laughs> it's not it's not like a huge deal, but it's yeah. kind of like okay, are you really gonna yeah say so, that and you, yeah? So let's take the
0: Leafs. Use the Leafs as your example, and and they're, they've been at the top of the cap for for quite a while now, right? So yeah, um, how many other teams are like the Leafs that are totally capped out at this point?
1: Um, I think there's quite a few. Like I couldn't say a number off the top of my yeah. head. But there's definitely a bunch. So like, mostly, the big know,
0: market teams are, are yeah. flirting with the top of the salary cap every year.
1: Yeah, I yeah. mean, one team that immediately comes to mind is like, oh god, is San Jose? Okay. Uh, because yeah. they they have the worst. I think if if you want to talk about a team that's in the worst position in the NHL right now, going forward, right. like if it was like you have to be the GM for a team and turn it around, San Jose is the worst. Yeah. <laughs> oh, because. No.
0: Well, because, yeah, for so many years they were kind of at the top of the league, expecting to go to the to the Stanley Cup, and they never did. Yeah, so I mean like for so I, long.
1: Yeah, part of it is I can't even you can't even blame the GM, right? Yeah. Because sometimes it's like life, right? Sometimes you do everything that you think is right, mm-hmm. and you just don't win. That's that's sports, yeah. right? You just it, they made the finals the one time, yeah. and they lost, and that was it. And so now the bill has come for being competitive for <laughs> totally. like f- yeah. 15 years. Yeah. And they've got these contracts. Like, I mean, maybe Carlson can get back to what he was, but you look at their contracts and it's like, Oh, like Carlson and Vlasik, Yeah. And like all these guys are signed like long term, and they're really, it's, it's not great. And they're old, you know, like they're, they're getting older every year. Right. You know? Um, so they're in a tough position. I know as far as the Leafs go, they at least are younger, but they were kind of like, and this is sort of what every team does, but especially the Leafs, because they had these big stars they just signed. They're like, OK, so when you sign a guy, you don't really think about the dollar amount yeah. so much as you think about percent. So you're like, OK, I'm going to sign this guy right. for this percent of the cap. Mm-hmm. And like as, as the years go by and you count on the cap probably going up, that percent number goes down. And so now you're like, okay, I've got more room to sign other guys. So they've they've signed their big ticket guys, right? They've got Tavares on contract, Matthews, Marner, Nylander. All those guys have signed their deals now. And now, uh uh-oh, guess what? The cap is not going up. So it's like that percentage that you're counting on getting smaller is not going to get smaller. Right. So um, basically, as far as they go, next year... They'll probably be okay uh, because they don't have major guys coming up. Yeah, I was Um, just
0: going to say, is there an issue with a lot of teams that have entry-level contracts right now, guys that are their entry-level deals are going to be up within the next three years? If you got a bunch of those, I could see that being an issue.
1: Yeah, and I mean, it it kind of depends on two. One thing that's frustrating as a Leaf fan is – when guys coming off their their entry levels, Matthews and Marner, they got paid. Basically, they got paid UFA money, yeah. but as an RFA, and yeah. they didn't even they didn't even give us full term. Right, they gave us six years and five years. Mm-hmm. And the idea, the justification, was, oh, well, this is just the new normal. You know, like RFA guys are going to start signing these big deals, um, like as if they were UFAs. And that's just, you know, the league's getting younger, blah, blah, blah. Well, it hasn't really gone that way with other teams. It's mostly the Leafs who have done that. Yeah. So I'm not as a Leaf fan, that doesn't make me super happy. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, anyway, the long and short of it is you've got these guys coming off ELC. Like anyone who's talented and young with is just gold right mm-hmm. now because you absolutely need And what you need to do is you have to keep cycling cheap depth. So you need guys who can, who can come on for an entry level contract and give you even if they give you eighty percent of what a guy who is you know let's say twenty eight would give you who's like who's better that's probably still a better option than paying that guy like if you look at there's a couple of guys the type of guy I'm talking about who's UFA this year like a Cody Eakin. Mm -hmm. on Vegas or Craig Smith on on Nashville like those guys have got to be looking at at free agency and are like oh no like I should have signed before right because they're gonna get squeezed I think they're gonna get squeezed
0: right that makes total sense because it's gonna be a cheaper deal and and grizzled veterans like those guys are always looking for a a winning team and looking for a you know a short big two-year contract or something and yeah it totally makes sense that teams are going to start looking for um for entry-level deals
1: Yeah. So as far as as far as the Leafs go, just to like say what's when they because I said next year, they'll probably be okay. Year after that, trouble. So I think Kapanen or Johnson, gone. Right. And Anderson, goalie, I think unless he really delivers in the playoffs, either this year or next year, I think he there's a very good chance he's gone as well.
0: Right. Well, that's unfortunate, but I mean, it seems like that's what's going to happen over the next couple of years. You're going to see uh, a few teams that are going to have to dump some guys, and it might yeah. it, it might help help some other teams in the league, of course. And we've got the expansion happen in Seattle. That might, you know, help a little bit um, taking a, taking a, taking a contract from each team. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, so I mean, Seattle will um, inject a much needed uh re- revenue stream into okay. the nhl yeah so that will that will make everyone a bit happy um i do think i think what's going to happen with seattle it's gonna be very interesting to see how good their team is because uh i think a lot of gms were embarrassed by vegas i, I think, agree
0: that's a good way to put it
1: like you know they, they made some side deals yeah with vegas and and in a lot of cases vegas kind of made them look stupid like Florida, oh my God, like they basically gave them two first line players, yeah, you know, to not take another guy who's worse. Like it was crazy, yeah. And, um, you know, so I think that GMs this time they're not going to want to make those side deals, and that um, makes sense. They're going to think very carefully about who they expose,
0: yeah. Well, we Um, and everyone just thought, you know, an expansion team they're going to suck for a few years, but uh, that wasn't the case.
1: Yeah. And, you know, and Seattle, I could suck, you yeah. know, like I, yeah. if, you know, and, and people be like, Oh, like, why couldn't you be Vegas? <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. <laughs> of the gate. Yeah. But, um, you know, so it's kind of like they're coming in and it's almost like a bit awkward position. Like, Oh, the last expansion team went to the finals the first year. What are you going to do? And, um, I don't know, but yeah, I beat think
0: that good luck. Yeah, that.
1: yeah. I know. I do think that this, um, this cap sting, um, staying it might actually help them because I think there might be some players exposed Mm -hmm. who wouldn't have been exposed otherwise because teams can't afford to keep them.
0: Right. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be an interesting few years for the salary cap for sure. Um, Paul, I know you follow a lot of other sports besides hockey and you and I have had this discussion a few times. Uh, We talked about strong link versus weak link sports um, and where hockey falls in that discussion. First of all, can you explain to to everyone what a strong link sport is versus a weak link sport? Okay, so um, I've heard the first sport, I've heard this
1: associated with was soccer and soccer analytics. Yeah. Um, and uh, there's a really good article by uh, Alex Novet that I've, I read about it, and, um, which uh, connects talks about hockey and strong link and weak link. So basically, first of all, what it means is... Um, a strong link game is one where the team with the best player usually wins. Right. Um, so superstars rule, right? Um, in a weak link game, the team without the worst player usually wins. So okay. basically, if it's a strong link game, you know, the superstars are what make the difference. If it's a weak link game, um, it's better to have a team where everyone is quite good mm-hmm. and there's no weak spots. Yeah. Um, and that's how you win. So, okay. um, as far as other sports, uh, you can probably guess, well, what do you think is the most strong link game?
0: Well, I would, my immediate thoughts are the ones that have less players on the roster. Yeah. So guys so, that spend like, the, if take a basketball team that has 12 y- guys and only eight of them play. Yes. And, and basketball is
1: yes. Yeah. That's yeah.
0: so basketball would probably be your biggest argument of a strong link sport. Mm hmm. Okay. It it
1: is, um, and the weak link. Um, a soccer is more of a weak link sport. Right. Um, and and that one of the one of the reasons is you nailed that number of players. Can you think of anything else that would influence, you know, what's strong versus weak?
0: Uh, maybe the amount of money people can spend. I'm not sure. The, I, I keep thinking, uh, like, if you compare basketball to like the NFL. The mm-hmm. NFL has got like fifty-three guys on the roster mm-hmm. who all have to contribute in a certain way, and and if you have the top two three players, it it may not it may not make the difference in the end.
1: Yeah, I mean, this, definitely that plays into it is mm-hmm. like how you can distribute, um, and and ha- what the role is of those players and right. how much salary they absorb. A big part of it too is um, the nature of the game. So soccer is a weak link sport. Because it's so low scoring, uh, one mistake is bad. Right, like very, it's drastic. Very, very costly. Yeah. If you make a if you make a defensive error in soccer, like a really bad one, um, that can be game over. Right. Yeah. Uh, whereas if you make a defensive error in basketball, it's you know it's not ideal, but it's over. Yeah. You can overcome it. There's going to be know?
0: 120 points scored yes. in the game.
1: Yeah. Right. Okay, that so, makes sense. Um, so basically, anyways, this author, yeah. um, and there's been a few studies, but this is the one I've looked at the most. He he sort of found that um, hockey is more of a strong link game. So um, basically, how bad the worst player is doesn't have an impact on winning. So he did, you know, a, sort of a, an analysis um, of like the teams that have succeeded in hockey and who wins and who loses. And basically, he found that um, the best player having the best player is much more important in hockey. Than your worst player, um, how right. bad they are in terms of impacting your winning. Interesting. Uh, so basically, what this means is you should, in hockey, you should get elite players, uh, even if it means making the bottom of your roster very weak. Um, you know, if you if your fourth liners and and uh, and your third pairing D, if they become basically bad players, it's worth it um, if you can get. An elite player or two, um, and I think what you know, one piece of like general sort of hockey knowledge, or no, I should say knowledge, but uh, it, um, th- thinking is yeah. that um, you know the best, the team that wins a trade usually or almost always is the team that gets the best player in the trade. Yeah. Um, and if you want to look at a recent example of that happening, uh, look no further than the Ryan O'Reilly trade buffalo Mm -hmm. from uh sorry from buffalo to st louis where basically um buffalo was trading uh you know a dollar for five dimes right and they got these guys like they got like you know they got like a low draft pick they got um you know a bunch of guys who played okay um Mm -hmm. didn't really do much and you know, they traded away a guy who went on to win the Selkie and the Conn Smythe. Yeah, for the like, cup like a heart team. and
0: soul kind of guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and
1: you don't trade a guy like that mm-hmm. unless you are getting back a top of the line prospect. Right. Like, you don't give up. You don't. You don't trade talent like that. Like it for so cheaply that's just it's you can't do that in the yeah. in the modern age and that's crippled that team Buffalo, well, it has they keep,
0: it seems like they keep shooting themselves in the foot they're oh not my god it's been decades since the oh. buffalo sabers have really had a strong team and 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 i don't know if it's all gm or if it's just bad luck bad drafting uh what do you think is going on in buffalo oh my
1: god it's i just listened to a
0: I just listened to a podcast where they talked about it mm-hmm.
1: and um they so they the Pagulas, I think that's how you say their name. is yeah. that ownership that took over about a decade ago, I think it was nine years ago, and they have gone through uh, five coaches, yeah. four GMs. Um, they've laid off, they've you know burned it to the ground like multiple times in terms of you know the supporting staff and stuff yeah. like that. And it's kind of like okay, eventually, what's the common denominator here? You know, like yeah. seems like bad ownership. It, yeah. Like, it might be you. Yeah, exactly. Um, And it becomes sort of a a vicious cycle, like a downward spiral, because you end up bringing in these GMs who are like, gee, the last guy got fired after like a year and a half. I need to do some things to get some wins on the board now. And they make short-sighted deals. You know, they're not thinking with a a big vision, a long-term vision. So they're
0: thinking short-term because they're worried about their jobs.
1: Yes, yeah. exactly, right? Okay. They're human. They're yeah. they're they're looking around and they're like, Man, <laughs> yeah. It doesn't seem like this is a very secure place to work. Like True. I need to get some results here.
0: Yeah.
1: And and um, you know, and you can end up making these these really bad deals. And this is this is kinda what the Leafs were doing for years, right? Yeah. Um they basically before Shanahan, they sort of were trying to let's let's get to basically like we gotta just try to at least make the playoffs this year. Even though um, it it won't like long term, it's not good for the team. And actually,
0: that confused me because Toronto has such a strong fan base. Why are they always trying to appease them?
1: Well, I mean, uh, part of it was part of it is is just money too. Like every every playoff game that you get in a market like Toronto is so valuable um, in terms of you know revenue that you can generate. Yeah. but also um, I think it's the idea of you can justify um, you know sort of staying the course and I think so this is a controversial sort of leaf opinion I know the way it went down uh, was obviously heartbreaking and it was definitely heartbreaking for me to watch it in a Toronto bar um, and pay for an $80 cab home so I didn't have to be <laughs> on the go train with depressed leaf fans yeah but the but that famous Game Seven collapse mm-hmm. against the Bruins in 2013—that was actually one of the best things to happen to the Leafs, because the Leafs that year, if you remember, that was a lockout-shortened year. Yes. Yep. And and uh, basically, they had no business making the playoffs. They were they were riding uh, hot goaltending and like unsustainable shooting percentages they're basically getting lucky right and if you watch if you watch their games you could see that like they were getting outshot by like 15 and they'd squeak out you know a 3-2 win right. and that was happening night in night out and so if they had won that series management could have been like look we want a playoff series you know like mm-hmm. we should keep on doing what we're doing but instead that was kind of like after that series it was kind of like okay time to like take stock of where we're at mm-hmm. and so you know and and we would have got smoked in the next round i'm Likely. pretty like i have no i there's no way we would have won more than like there's no way we were winning the cup that year put it no, that way there's like no way. we were we were way over yeah
0: well um, i think you i think you hit the nail on the head there i think you're you're right with that uh, assessment of the season for the leafs yeah um and so just to just quickly to go back to the strong link versus weak link yeah. You are of the impression that hockey is more of a strong link sport. And I'm kind of confused on it because I think hockey kind of falls somewhere in the middle. Um, You know, every team needs to have two elite centermen and they need to have a really good goalie. Mm -hmm. And then so that would be would that be considered your strong link? Could it be three to five people that you're depending on? Or is it just based on who has the best player uh, in the in the game?
1: So I kind of agree with you. Um, in terms of this guy's conclusion was that it was strong link. Right, what so just one f-
0: guy. So who has the yeah. best player in the game?
1: Yeah, so okay. this this um, this author, Alex Novak, I, I kind of think, I sort of tend to think that forwards are a strong link and yeah. defense are a weak link more because um, I think that, you know, it's really hard to get elite Offensive talent in the NHL, and when you have it, um, you—it's a lot more individual. Like so, basically, I think offense is more individual, and defense is more team-oriented. Yep, so sure. if you have a good—if you have a good system, and you have six guys who can play solid D mm-hmm. um, and know their role, that sort of thing. Yeah. I think you're better off than having one really really strong D or one or two really really strong D, and then guys who are who are bad right you know
0: yeah that makes uh, sense that totally yeah. makes sense and like when you think of teams now like you think of a team like say the the 1990s new jersey devils mm. who were winning games because they had marty brodeur and their whole team bought into a system yeah. and were able to you know play that system to a t so that would be an example of a team that definitely didn't have the best player in the game offensively but they were able to yeah. win games
1: yeah no, for sure. I mean, and if you look at, you're like, you can look and say, okay, you know, but those teams had a lead D. like, And they did have, like, yep. they, they had they had Niedermeyer, yep. Rafalski, but even, it's not like the rest of their D were bums. Like Stevens, yeah. Danico, like they yeah, were deep. Of course, yeah. And if you want to see a team that, in my opinion, got exposed with their low down defense, um, it was San Jose uh, in the finals when they played Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Their their third pairing D was like Roman Polak, and I think Brendan Dillon yep. or something, and they got Pittsburgh just feasted them on mm-hmm. them because one thing that you can do is in the playoffs is line matching as well, at home, yeah, exactly. and I think that that makes a big difference. I think that makes a bigger difference with the defense than it does with the forward. So like, let's say you have a a forward like the Leafs do, 18-year-old Nick Robertson, mm-hmm. who looks like he's going to play in the first game.
0: I know, he looks amazing. Okay.
1: So you can hide, like, he, defensively, he's probably not going to be the best.
0: No, he'll be a know? liability.
1: Yeah, but I think a winger, you can hide mm-hmm. a little bit, but you can be like, okay, you know, he, like, he will just, just try to stay in your position on the wing and um, take short shifts, whatever. Like I think it's you're less likely to get exposed as a winger um, versus if you're a defenseman and um, the other team is targeting your pairing. I think uh, they're dumping it in your corner. You know they're they're trying to get in your kitchen in front of the net. Like man, like if you're in if you're bad, uh, you're going to get exposed. Totally.
0: And one of the things about hockey, where um, you know maybe some people don't know this, it's one of the only sports where home field or home ice or home court advantage has a benefit of getting last change. And and when you're matching up in playoffs, like it's huge. You can't do that in the NBA. You can't do it in the NFL. You can't do it in other sports. So I think that's one thing where actually home ice advantage makes pretty big difference in the NHL.
1: Yeah. And I mean, and some coaches are, are, um, you know, so line matching is such a big part of what they do. They're experts. Uh, Yeah. Um, you know, if you if you look at the Leafs upcoming series with with Tortorella, yeah. you better believe Scary. he is going to he's going to be very, um, you know, line matching very hard. Yeah. Uh, specific players against the Leafs top guys.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. Um, let's move on now. We we've discussed the evolution of hockey a little bit um, the last couple of times we spoke, Paul, and how the game has changed in our lifetime so much. Mm-hmm. What do you think about the product on the ice right now? Is it more entertaining than it's ever been?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Like, I mean, part of one of the things that's hard to really separate here, and it's probably the same for you because we're around the same age, is when I think about the sport when I was a kid, um, you know, I was looking through it perhaps through rose tinted glasses because yeah. when you're a child, um, the way you see things and looking back, nostalgia um, can sort of maybe obscure looking at it objectively. Um, but I would say it's definitely faster now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, in that aspect of it, and it, it is better. Like, if you go back and you watch old hockey footage, it, it doesn't, you don't even have to go back that far. Like, you go back to the late 90s, it is so much... It's slower than now. Yeah, like, it's noticeably slower. slower.
0: Yeah.
1: What I would say, though, is I do and I'm not even that much of an old-school hockey guy, I do kind of miss... I think that there's not as much... I don't know. um, There's not as many rivalries. There's not as much sort of... um, Hatred? Bad bad blood between teams. And like these really, you know... Yeah, exactly. That sort of thing, that kind of... Mm-hmm. I'm, sure, I'm sure the guys are still passionate in their own way, but yeah. I, I have to admit I do kind of miss that aspect of hockey. What yeah, about
0: you? I, I agree. And um, my recent podcast with Barry Beck, he talked about that in depth, how, how much guys hated each other back in the day when they played against each other. They didn't even talk to each other after the games. There was nobody yeah. you know meeting in the hallway for a chat after the game kind of thing. And that has changed a lot over the years now that guys have played together growing up. They come through the same systems in Canada and in the U.S. and in Europe, so yeah, I think uh, that's a huge factor.
1: Yeah, like I know, I guess this, you know, they still chirp each other a bit, and there's, you know, this guys who still kind of get into it a little bit, but yeah. um, for the most part, it's kind of like um, it's very much play to the whistle, yeah. and then you know, sort of like blank face, go off, you know, wait for your next shift. Yeah. Um, I feel like, I don't know, I, I guess that's sort of a an intangible part of the game that's hard to really even measure. But I, I do feel like there's a little bit less of that. And I do think it's not nothing like it's it is kind of a part of hockey culture that sort of that um, adversarial nature between teams. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I don't but what know. About, but, what about what about
0: other changes in the game? Like as far as hockey's evolution are we evolving at the right pace as like as I mean I mean sorry uh like are we making the right changes like getting rid of the red line and then and then hybrid icing and three-on-three overtime and shootouts and all these things that the league is kind of trying to change over time it's every time it comes up it's a huge argument between you know the new school and the old school and the what do you think about the recent changes that have been made in the league and, and the evolution of the game as far as rule changes and and things like that
1: I think most of them have been good. Like, yeah. um, you know, getting rid of the two-line pass—that was a good move. Mm-hmm. Um, shootouts aren't the greatest uh, for a lot of hockey fans in mm-hmm. terms of, um, but that um, you can't you can't do three on three indefinitely. I would be fine with ties, um, personally myself, mm-hmm. but um, I don't mind the shootout. Um, I think for the offside rule. They should have it uh, break the plane like the NFL. Right. So basically, like I don't want to see a goal called back because it's, a guy a guy's skate was on the blue line, but it was like a centimeter above the blue I
0: line. I know, I agree. Like, and if they have that technology, use yeah. it. Yeah.
1: yeah. So I think it should be if your skate, any part of you, is yeah. breaks the plane, so any part of you is still on the blue line or above the blue line, yeah. then you're okay.
0: Yeah, and Uh I heard them saying, like, you know, we can't expect the referees to make that call because is this skate, you know, still over the blue line when it's in the air? It's so hard to tell. But if you're going to replay anyway...
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. like Just do it. Yeah, get it right. They have a camera right on the blue line. Yeah. Like, Like, just look at that camera. Oh, there. Boom, done. Yeah. One minute.
0: I think, you know, overall, I have to agree. I think hockey's done a great job, and I think Gary Bettman's probably... The best commissioner in all of pro sports when it comes to, you know, keeping up with that evolution, and it it always drives me crazy when the guys boo Mm -hmm. Batman. It's just it's just one of those things that I think is just a tradition. I don't know if they really hate the guy or not.
1: Did you hear? uh, What I was just reading today is so you know how they're getting fans to record themselves and send in the recordings. Apparently, they've asked some fans to record themselves booing, and they might they might like pipe in the booze for the Gary Bettman speech for the cop handoff. <laughs> that would be hilarious. Uh, see, that would that. make
0: me think that it's more of just like a traditional thing. We hate yeah. the commissioner, no matter who it is. Yeah. yeah.
1: And I, I would give a lot of respect to Bettman if he actually uh, like, if that happened, that would be funny.
0: That would be. Um, yeah.
1: Um. Yeah. I think he, I think he's overall done a pretty good job. Um. I think silver, the, the, Basketball commissioner's probably the best one out of the big four.
0: Okay.
1: Um, but uh, I think my own seems like he's the worst. Um, he's
0: struggling but, right now.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think he's done overall yeah. um, a pretty good job. One. So here's my number one rule that I would like to see changed. Okay. Um, is there's I think it's called um, the the golden rulers. It has some a name. Anyways, um, Shane Doan was a big proponent of this one. Basically. It's for the draft. So, what you would do is to determine the draft order. Um, after a team is mathematically eliminated from the playoffs, so that means they can no longer make it, they start accruing points towards draft position.
0: Right. So and it's the opposite of tanking.
1: Yes. So, um, if your team is mathematically eliminated, but they win, you can be like, hey, you know, that helps us with our draft. So, basically it incentivizes winning yeah um, no matter what and i think that that would be a cool thing to do
0: certainly um, interesting i know one thing what what's going on with the draft right now i don't like it yeah i mean i don't like it at all i mean for me i don't think i think one of the bottom 3 teams in the league should be guaranteed the top pick and it's the only way that you're going to continue to um, you know help teams improve and get off you know get to work their way out of the out of the tank Kind of thing. So, for me, I think there has to be a way that one of those bottom few teams gets the top pick. And this year, we're seeing that that's not going to happen.
1: Yeah, I mean, it it does make such a difference. Oh, Um, it's
0: especially this year. Like, you're going to get a You're going to get a a generational player.
1: Yeah, like the difference between number one overall and number four overall can be just massive. It
0: can be. And you I mean, know, it can go like, the other way. And we all know that you can get great draft picks late rounds and, yeah. you know, players surprise. But when you see a guy like Lafreniere at the top yeah. of the list, it's it's a huge jump. You're totally right.
1: Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's it's tough for those teams. That, and I wonder how much of them changing it was influenced by Ebbington winning so many times and, and still being terrible, basically. Right. Like, if, I wonder if that played into them changing it from just one team to three teams in the lottery. But I don't
0: know. I don't know. I think it's a bit of a mess right now. And I know there's a lot of people. Well, maybe just because of the luck of the draw this year that, that it's turning out this way and just mm. the way that the entire season is gone. Um, I think it's just kind of like a little black mark at the end.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's something they could work on for sure. I agree.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I like, I like this idea that you're taught with Shane. Do- was it Shane Doan Do- you said that came up with? He
1: that? was, I don't know if he came. He was like one of the NHL guys who really pushed for it. Who pushed um, for it? Okay. Who like you thought it'd be a good idea? I just think it's a good idea to try to always incentivize winning. Yeah. Um, and players like players and g- players will always try to win, like no matter what. Unless if I they agree. Phone in, where's the if tanking f- coming from? Yeah, K- tanking comes at the GM level, right? Okay. Tanking, tanking comes. Coaches and players will try their best to to win games, mm-hmm. but a GM. Will say, okay, you know, we're basically going to make our team bad um, for this year in the hopes that next year we can be, we can be, you know, or two years from now we can be good. And so players, you know, players will want to win no matter what. I think it for more than anything else, it's for the fans. You know, it makes it gives you a reason to watch the last five games of the year Mm -hmm. um, if your team's garbage.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's interesting. Like, I mean, any, anything that you can do to incentivize winning, like you said, and avoid tanking, I'm, I'm for yeah. the idea. I, I'd definitely like to get the, into that a little bit deeper.
1: Um, yeah. But
0: for the sake of time today, one of the positions um, that really evolved over the years is goaltending. Um, would you agree?
1: Yep, for sure.
0: And, and how much do you think, uh, how much does a goaltender, how much say does a goaltender have in, in the success of their team? How important is it? now compared to to the past
1: um i think it's a lot less important i so well okay there's two parts to that question okay so goaltending is one of the positions in sports that's changed the most in the last couple of decades um or so like you know it wasn't that long ago like when i was a little kid um or like maybe even before that in the 80s where the goalies were basically the worst athletes. On the team, um, yeah, and and now they're kind of the best athletes on the team, um, and there's not much to pick between them. Like I pulled up so just now, I pulled up a random year in the in the '90s um, for the regular seasons, '96, '97, and I looked at the top save percentage in the league, and um, you can probably guess three of the top four. Do you want to try to guess three of the top four? Which year? That? Ninety six, ninety seven.
0: Three of the top four, probably Marty Broder, Patrick Roy, yes. yes, and God, Mike Vernon.
1: Good guess, but uh, Dominic Hasek.
0: Oh, right, of course. Yeah, and the other. <laughs> he guy, was probably number one, was he? He was number one. Oh damn! Of course, yeah. I got the first one wrong. <laughs>
1: That's all right. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. Anyways, I think the point being back then, I think it was more predictable who those top guys were versus um, this sort of the average goalie in the league. There was a big difference. Um, whereas now, like, okay, tell me, who do you think are the top five goalies in the league right now? Just your personal opinion.
0: Oh, that's so tough. But I would say uh, Carey Price, John Gibson, um, Darcy Kemper maybe right now. And then it's a crapshoot. There's so many decent goalies. Yeah, it's hard to say, man. It's really hard to say. There's not like I I totally get what you're trying to say there. There's not a lot of a gap. Yeah. Between those elite level goalies. Yeah. Tuka rask, sorry, he should be at the top of that list.
1: Yeah. No, it's I I wouldn't even know how to answer this question.
0: I know, you just totally made your point. Like
1: (laughs) it's like, okay, so for say percentage this year. Yeah. This is so this is guys who played at least forty games. Um, so not like, you know, guys who just had a, a couple of games and a high-state yeah. percentage. So Tuka Rask, number one.
0: Yeah.
1: Connor Halibach, number two. Yeah. Uh, ben Bishop, number three. Jacob Markstrom on Vancouver, number yep. four. And Andre Vasileski, number five. Right. So that was this year. Yeah. And if you asked, I think if you asked 10, 10 hockey guys. I totally guys,
0: forgot about Halibach. I should not have forgotten about him.
1: Yeah, but, but it's, yeah, Yeah, it's a thing of like. You know, and some people were saying he should win the heart this year because he carried Winnipeg so so hard. Wow. And it's like, what? Like and so but I don't then think,
0: I don't agree with that, but he should win the Vesna.
1: Yeah. But then next year, like it could be like if you ask ten hockey guys who are the top five goalies in the league, I think you'd get ten different answers. Yeah. And so I think now just don't the bottom line is don't pay your goalies a ton of money. Right. Like because You've just got to hope that you have a good enough goalie who gets hot at the right time.
0: I agree. That's a that's a, that's a great point, man. And I think uh, a lot of teams that are tied up with big, huge contracts, like Montreal, for example, for a lot of years with Carey Price. I mean, they, I've been saying in, for the last three years that Montreal should probably consider trading them because they're not in a window where they're going to win a cup with them. They're not in a position where... They can just take in one or two more guys and build around price, it's not happening. And maybe it would be better if they could get a couple big pieces for him, like you said, and, and fill in the fill in the fill in the position with someone in their in their system.
1: Yeah, I mean, oh well like look at another example. Bobrovsky.
0: Like oh, I know. Disasters. Contract.
1: Oh that contract, yeah. I mean, maybe he bounces back, but it looks bad. Right. And he and you wonder how much of his stats were just Columbus's defense being really good cuz yeah. now Columbus has got these two rookie goalies who are putting up awesome stats. Yeah. You know, and it's like, hmm, I wonder if, you know, not to say Broboski wasn't good for them. I think he was. But geez, like it, it makes it seem like maybe um, people were were thinking he would be much more of a game changer on his own for a weak defensive Florida team than he turns out he is.
0: Right. <laughs> Yeah, totally. What do you think about um teams going into the playoffs with, with two starters or, or, or some type of carousel happening in nets?
1: Yeah, I think I think um that's happening more and more. I think backup goalie has become a much more important position. Yeah. Um if you look at um Washington's cup win, um when the playoffs started, Hopey wasn't even their starter. You know, Grubauer finished most of the year. Yep. and then um when Grubauer had a, a bad couple of games then Hopi came back in, and then you look at uh, Matt Murray sort of stepping in for Fleury and, and immediately winning a cup. Uh, you look at Binghamton as goalie depth coming in and immediately winning a cup. Yeah. Um, and those are the last few cup winners, right? So um, I think it's very important. And I think the, also the load management aspect. like You used to have starters who would put up 60-plus game seasons all the time. You know, like, yeah. I'm going to go back to this Dominic Hassick year 67 games he started that year. Same with Broder. Yeah, that's
0: um, not, the guys don't do that anymore. No, you'll
1: see a lot less of that. You yeah. see guys who are like, guys start 55, you know, or yeah. fit just above 50, and then the other guy, it's kind of like a 1A, 1B
0: type of situation. Yeah. Fleury, I think's the only guy that keeps playing almost every game.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, there's, yeah, there's very few guys left who who play so many anderson's up there too to be honest
0: that's true yeah yeah
1: Partly because until we got campbell our backup was so bad yeah like like hutchinson was terrible this year
0: yeah exactly (laughs) they didn't have any luck with backups this year no (laughs) all right paul let's move on to uh, this new idea that's been floating around uh called total hockey can you explain this and do you think this is the direction that hockey is headed
1: Um, Yeah, this is kind of an interesting idea. Um, Basically, this is sort of... um, And some teams have tried this in other sports. I think... um, I don't know too much about basketball, but I think the Milwaukee Bucks attempted this a few years ago. Um, Basically, the idea is positions matter a lot less in total hockey, and it's more concentrating on um, responsibilities and where you are on the ice... Um, and what is happening on the ice, and we're reacting accordingly, as opposed to, this is my position, this is my job. Do your job in your position. Um, You think of it more as a one cohesive unit. So Mm -hmm. um, a coach that has tried to do this is um, Mike Yeo for the Minnesota Wilds. He he attempted to do this. Um, So basically, it's like, okay, you don't have a playmaker or a stay-at-home defenseman per se, it's like every forward is a two-way forward. Every defenseman could could score goals. And so like, let's say you have a defenseman who goes on the rush. Yeah. Right? Not only do you have another guy dropping back, um, but if you could even have two defensemen join the rush. Or if you have a defenseman who's joined the rush, um, he doesn't have to, as soon as the rush ends, scramble back to his position. It can be right. like, okay. You can for,
0: trust the person that's filling in for yeah. him.
1: Yeah. For the rest of the shift, I'm a, like a forward. Right. Because I'm already in the offensive zone. Um, so basically, that's the idea behind it. Right um, Now the Leafs try to do this to not a complete degree, but they have a system where they rely on their, their defense, are encouraged to pinch really low down the boards um, to, to keep pucks alive and to get involved offensively. Um, partly because that's kind of the way our defensemen our personnel is like that's how you get the most out of Riley that's how you get the most out of Barry the problem is if you're going to do that you need forwards who are really on the ball and like committed to covering and and being back Um, but
0: what about not just covering they have to have the ability to play the position as well
1: right so you need a guy who like you know how when you see a forward get caught back on when when a team's playing a power play and they have a forward on the point and then that forward gets walked. You know? Then it's like a two-on-one
0: and for, for like a in short, the back yeah, of the net.
1: yeah, exactly. For like a shorthanded goal. And you're like, who was that D? Oh, he wasn't a D. That's you right. Know? I think yeah. they're trying to think. It's like, now, I don't know how far. No team really does this fully yet because it's so hard. But I do think things are going to go more in this direction. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at uh, the way D are, are drafted now, like, uh, who are the best D in the league, rookie D in the league right now? Quinn Hughes, Kale McCarr, and Adam Fox were the three best def- rookie defensemen this year. Mm-hmm. And what do they have in common? They're more about moving the puck, jumping up on the play. You know, they're a bit smaller, more mobile. Yeah. Um, they look more like what you would expect a forward to look like. I agree. Um, and so you're going to see, I think you're going to see that. There will be a less less of a distinction between the way um, forwards are built versus D, but I don't think it'll go the whole way. I don't think it'll go totally to like positions don't matter, or whatever. I just yeah. think that's that's too hard, yeah, um, and uh, too chaotic. But right.
0: I do I like think the idea, though, man. It's very yeah. interesting. Um, yeah, and I, I think you're right. I think there's a lot more of that happening now than ever. And as people's roles change in the game, and and hockey's so fast now, and and, and it's so yeah. offensive and there's so much depth, too, and it, it's only a matter of time before uh, players are able to play every position on the ice. And I think that evolution has already started.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, if you look at Bobby Orr when he came to the league, yeah. you know, nobody rushed the puck like that as a D. Like, it just wasn't done. It wasn't yeah. just like, you know, and so like he, he kind of revolutionized. And then since then, it's sort of been edging – ebbing and flowing a bit but i think yep. it's it's really edging that way um with how teams are playing more often now yep. um especially when they're more committed to playing a possession style um that's easier if you're you know you have a d who crosses the red line and he's like oh i have to dump it in now instead yep. they're like no you know what i'm gonna go for it myself to try to yeah
0: yeah totally great insight Paul. listen are you ready to talk about some playoffs Sure. All right. Let's, let's talk about specifically the play-in round. Um, okay. I did make my predictions on my last episode, but we didn't really go into in-depth. Uh, we just kind of uh, gave a an one-sentence answer and gave our predictions. So I want to go into it a little bit deeper with you, um, and we're going to focus on just the play-in round. So um, first of all, is there a, do you have a, an opinion on what kind of teams do you see doing well in this short um, kind of format that we're using this year.
1: Honestly, like I really, it's so hard to say. Um, there's yeah. so many, um, there's so many factors. In, intuitively, you think, okay, the teams that um, maybe are built more on skill than systems might do better because it, it might be like October hockey, right? And in October hockey is generally pretty sloppy because. You know there's guys who are not a, you know they're not in the flow of the season yet they haven't perfected um you know what they want to do in terms of defensive zone coverage that sort of thing so in those situations skill can shine so that might have that might you know favor a team like the leafs yeah um who are built more on on skill and especially offensive skill yeah. um but who know? But you know it's really hard to say i i mean it's almost like a brand new season. Like you can look at teams were hot going into the break, but does that even matter?
0: Yeah, it shouldn't anymore. No, momentum should be gone. Yeah, yeah.
1: What do you think? Do you think well,
0: I don't have an overall thought. I, originally, I was the same mind as you, thinking you know the guys with the most skill, uh, you know, are going to be able to shine in a short series. There's not. There's going to be less animosity, less of a chance for a team to to grind out a seven game series. You know by other methods other than scoring. Um, so I think that's going to be a big factor. But now that we're getting closer and closer to the playoffs, I, I think it's a crapshoot because now I'm thinking, you know, some of these ex- more experienced teams might have, you know, done a better job staying ready throughout the uh, the pause. And I, it's really hard to tell from one exhibition game, of course. You can't really make any judgments. And we don't really know how, you know, how hard each team was playing in that exhibition game. But it seemed to me like most of the teams are pretty gassed running into the third period. Yeah. So being in game shape is going to be a factor. And I don't know if that benefits a, a veteran or if it benefits a younger player. And then I'm also looking at things like teams like Washington who have gone on long runs the last couple of years and their star players are a bit older, even, even in Pittsburgh. Um, maybe even Chicago with Taves and Kane, like guys who really could have benefited from a three-month break. Mm-hmm. So I've got all these things going through my head. I really haven't been able to nail down a, an opinion on that, to be to be uh, completely honest.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. I mean, if you look at the famous Summit Series, 1972, Paul Henderson, yeah. part of the reason that he was so good in that tournament, even though he didn't have like a, super amazing nhl career was he was just in really good shape like he he knew he might not make the team unless he was in top shape so over the summer he kept himself in really good condition and then he dominated so it's kind of like yeah who's been keeping themselves in good condition
0: yeah and i um, think that's leadership i think a lot of that comes down to the captains of the team and the older mm -hmm. leaders on the team to make sure that their guys were ready keeping in touch you know doing things zoom workouts i know a lot of guys were doing things together like that and i think that's going to play a big factor yeah i think you're right and just a side note before we go on with our predictions i just wanted to let my listeners know that our podcast along with two other hockey podcasts um puck off hosted by joe bartnick and fraser smith and andy picaro and the let's go podcast with pete cam and um and danny they go, we're all putting our picks together we're all making predictions one round at a time we're going to do a little friendly competition amongst hockey podcasters so paul you're going to jump right into that with your picks and we can definitely see uh, a little friendly wager see how we do uh, throughout the throughout the playoffs sure awesome. sounds good all right well let's get into it let's start in the east and uh, we're going to start with the pittsburgh montreal series your thoughts
1: um okay i think i think that this one um it's montreal's gonna have their hands full with a healthy pittsburgh team they uh, they've got gunso back now that makes a big difference yeah um i do think montreal will play them close uh and give them a run for their money but i just don't think they have the finishing talent Mm -hmm. to keep up with pittsburgh so i'm gonna take pittsburgh in
0: Uh, okay that is my exact prediction as well and i don't know if it's biased because i'm just hoping montreal can squeeze out one win um part of me thinks pittsburgh might win that series in three um i just don't think Montreal's deep enough um offensively and they're not their their special teams hasn't been good and the only way they're going to upset a team like pittsburgh is if their power play is firing on all cylinders and they're able to to kill penalties and i I haven't seen it yet throughout the year. They have been at the bottom of the league in power play Mm -hmm. and penalty killing, and I I can't see that changing um, just in this little playoff run. So I'm with you. I'm going to take Pittsburgh in four. Second series, we got the six versus 11 play in. We got Carolina versus the Rangers. And as I said before, a lot of people jumping on the Rangers bandwagon. Where are you at on this one, Paul?
1: Okay, so my opinion on this one is greatly influenced actually by health because yep. normally you would think after a big long break like this teams would be healthy, uh, but Carolina is missing Dougie Hamilton and just Brett, saw
0: that this morning.
1: Yeah, and Brett Pesce, yeah. who's there. So so those are their top two right-hand defensemen, mm-hmm. and Dougie Hamilton's a star. Like yep. and on top of that, how so, bad is his
0: injury? Did is there anything? I haven't read anything about it.
1: I don't know how long he's out for, but I'm pretty sure it's at least this series.
0: Oh, gosh. Yeah, that's so, huge. What about the they brought in Votnin and Brady Shea at the trade deadline? Is that going to make a difference?
1: I think that will help. Yeah. Um, and they're they're a pretty deep defensive team. Yeah. But missing your top two right-hand defensemen, especially when one of them is as good as Hamilton is, there's yeah. no really getting around that. Okay. Um, and I think what makes that even worse is um, – you know, you look at, okay, they're one exhibition game, like you said, it's only an exhibition game, but Ovechkin on left wing, going up against that right side, you know, he did well. He did dominated. very well. Yep. He dominated. He got three yep. points, two yep. goals. And then you're like, okay, who are we going to face on left wing on the Rangers? Oh, no, Artemi Panarin. Yeah, like, the
0: best player in the series.
1: Yeah, the best left winger in the league right now, probably. Okay. Yeah, okay. So it's like, yeah, so it's like, okay, I think he's going to eat their lunch. Like, he's just going to be a demon in this series, I'm predicting. So I, because of that, I'm going to take the Rangers in five.
0: Good call. Um, I'm actually going the other way, and I made this prediction before I knew that Dougie Hamilton was out. Um, but I will stick with it. And I, I love Carolina. I think their, their top three lines are young and fast, and then bringing back Justin Williams, those additions on the blue line. And I think both teams are – kind of a 1A, 1B type goaltending situation. Uh, maybe even 1C for the Rangers. They seem to have three guys that can go uh, any night. Um, that could be a difference. And, and I don't like the carousel in the playoffs. I'd, like, I'd rather a team be walking in with a, with a straight up, he's our mm. number one guy. Um, I think that's helpful in the playoffs. But I'm taking Carolina in five. This is going to be a squeaker. And I look for Mr. Williams to maybe be a game five hero. All right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Famous Mr. Seven becoming Mr. Game Seven become Mr. Game Five. Yeah. You
0: got it. Yeah. All right. Next series, the Islanders in Florida. Your thoughts.
1: Yeah. This is a tough one to call. Um, I think, I think because of the, like I said before, how it it might be more tilted towards uh, offense. Mm-hmm. Um, at this time, I think maybe Florida might be able to to surprise here. Wow! Um, so, but uh, yeah, you know what? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Islanders, but in five.
0: Good call. I think I think you're right. Uh, Florida's. Uh, I don't think they they did very well against the Islanders this year. And goaltending is a big factor in this series um, for Florida. They're a well-coached team. They got Quenville behind the bench. Um, but they were they were sellers at the deadline, and that kind of worries me. Um, yeah. I got the but, Islanders winning this series in four. I hmm. just think the Islanders uh, – you know, I didn't have much – I didn't have the Islanders even making the playoffs this year at the beginning of the year. I had them in ninth.
1: Me neither. Think, or
0: or t- ninth or tenth when I did my predictions at the beginning of the year. But they certainly surprised, and, you know – I Guys like Anders Lee, um, he's a guy that's not on a lot of people's radars, but he does everything right, and he mm-hmm. makes Barzell look like a superstar. Um, you know, he, goes, he does all the dirty things and, and goes to all the dirty areas. So I like the Islanders in four. It's going to be a well-coached series with Trots and Quenville. I think uh, the Islanders are just a little bit deeper.
1: Yeah, and I think you have to like the Islanders, even though I've minimized... You know, I'm saying like, oh, it might be yeah. a bit, I walked over. I, I, the Islanders defensively compared to the Florida, there's no comparison. They're way That's better. Right. They're way better. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, so we both got the Islanders. And finally, uh, your thoughts on the uh, the Leafs versus Tortorella series.
1: Oh, man. this Talk about a clash of styles.
0: Did the exhibition game scare you? I mean, the good news. Yeah. They looked good. They looked good.
1: They're good, man. They're yeah. a good team. Like, yeah. um, and they're healthy. They were injured all year. That's true. Um, yeah, this is, this is such a hard one to predict in yeah. terms of, because if the Leafs can dictate the game, um, then it's, you know, it could go one way, but if Columbus can dictate how the game is played, it could go way the other way. Yeah. Um, I gotta go with my Leafs, but yeah. I, I think it's going the distance. I think it's going five. Yeah. And, and we need Anderson to be, you know, Anderson needs to be above average. If he's just average, I don't think they can win.
0: Okay. Um, I'm with you. I got the Leafs. I'm with, I took the Leafs in four. I think Tortorella finds a way to win a game at least. But um, I just think Toronto's ready to, uh, to prove to the world that um, they're for real. I think they got the, big, the best players in the series. I think Columbus is a, is a grittier team. Um, Toronto is more talented. So I'm going to go with Toronto in four. Okay. All right. Let's move on to the West. And this first series is starting to scare me a little bit as well. The Edmonton-Chicago series. I had originally predicted Edmonton to win this series in three. Uh, I thought Crawford was going to be injured and not playing, and he seems to be uh, healthy now or, Mm or close to being ready to play. And just watching Chicago the other day in the exhibition game, I don't want to take too much from the exhibition game. And I did. I was in Chicago this year, and I watched them play. They're a super hard-working team, and if they can get up a goal or two, they're tenacious, and and they can surprise a lot of teams. But I took Edmonton in three, so I have to stick with that. And uh, what are your thoughts, Paul?
1: Yeah, I th- I think. Um... I feel like I'm maybe I'm playing it safe with all my picks here except for the Rangers, but I'm going to yeah. take Edmonton as well. Uh, yeah. I think I'll take them in four. I think that Chicago will get a game, but yeah. like if you looked at again, how much stock do you put in exhibition games? But did you see that goal McDavid scored? Oh, McDavid again,
0: looks like faster than he's ever been, which is mind blowing.
1: Like Noah Hannafin is like a pretty good defenseman who's had yeah. a very respectable career. Yeah. He went by him like he didn't matter. I know. Like it. It was just like an anthill in his way, right. like, and, and looks off the goal and scores. And you're like, you see that. And you look at Chicago's defense currently. I know and, that's and the, it's thing. Like, the
0: defense looks horrible.
1: It's horrible. You know, Keith's a shadow of his former self. And then, you know, the depth it, it's. So I just think they're just going to him and Dre Settle are just going to absolutely run amok. And especially the power play, like they're just going to kill them, I think.
0: Yeah, so what's your How many games? Chicago, I'll, say
1: four. I'll say four. I think, I think the, the veterans in Chicago pull out one win.
0: Yeah. Yeah, they're certainly capable. I mean, I, I, again, watching their game against St. Louis the other day, once they got up a couple of goals, Chicago's not the kind of team. And, and again, they, they have a lot of shortcomings on defense, and they managed to shut out St. Louis the other night in that exhibition game, which was surprising. A kid mm-hmm. who I really like is that Kubalik. He's really looking like a stud. Yeah, he got 30 um, goals this year. I know.
1: Yeah,
0: I know, and he's in the the running for the Calder, isn't he? Yeah, he's one of the candidates. Yeah. So yeah, so they definitely um, they have a chance offensively. They definitely stand up and they can match up. It's whether or not they can um, play with a lead or not. If I think you know they're the kind of team that like you, like you said earlier, if they're able to dictate, able to score a couple goals early and dictate the pace of the game. I think Chicago has a chance, but again, I got Edmonton in three. So yeah. let's move on, Paul, to uh, Nashville, Arizona. Very interesting series.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's, that's true. You've got um, a team in Arizona that plays quite well defensively. Very good goaltending. Very good goaltending. Um, and then Nashville, who have got those big stars on defense, um, but uh, aren't as good maybe as they were a couple years ago. Um, right. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with uh, with Nashville on this one. Um, in five, I think that they'll have just enough offensive oomph to mm-hmm. to beat Arizona. Yeah. Arizona, even though they're really good defensively, like no one on that team got more than 45 points. Mm-hmm. And I know Taylor Hall doesn't count towards that, but there's just not enough goals going on there.
0: Yeah, I, I tend to agree there. My thoughts on the series, though, are that um, in Nets, I think, I think Darcy Kemper's a little bit better right now than both Saros and uh, Pecorine. And I got Arizona winning it in five. Um, I'm expecting Phil Castle and Taylor Hall to really break out. All of Reckman Larson's probably, the, you know, obviously he's the best defenseman on Arizona, and, mm-hmm. and Nashville stacks up better defensively than most teams in the league. Um, but I think if you add the defensive style of Arizona and their goaltending, I think they can play a better defensive game. I think it's going to come down to who can score three goals in a game. Yeah. Um, and I've got Arizona winning it in five. The, like, a, it's a toss up.
1: The reason, if, if, if Rene was starting, I would pick Arizona. But I think okay. Sardos is starting. And I think he, um, I think he's a bit better at this point in their careers. So that mm-hmm. tilts it. But I agree, like you, it's a very close call.
0: Yeah, this is a tough one. I think it's going to be a lot of 3-2 games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, moving on to the Vancouver-Minnesota series. What are your thoughts on this one?
1: Um, I'll take uh, – I just – Minnesota, I feel like that's got to be a hard team to cheer, cheer for, like – they're just not exciting <laughs> and like nothing. I don't never look at them and I'm like, oh, you know, i intimidated by them. I think I think Vancouver just in terms of um, of talent and offensive pop, they've just got the edge on them. Yeah. And they've got Markstrom. I, I, I'm going to take Vancouver and I'm going to take them in three.
0: Excellent. Good call. I like it. I hope it happens. Uh, I think Vancouver is certainly a really exciting team to watch right now. I don't know if they have the, you know, if this was a seven-game series, this, was, this is one of those ones where I think a team like Minnesota might be able to grind and wear down a team like Vancouver. Minnesota's a veteran team. Uh, they, they're, they're really well coached. They've been playing at a high level. But they were kind of sellers at the deadline too. They, they traded away Zucker. Um, yeah. Didn't really look like they were going to make a run. And then all of a sudden they were playing really good hockey. Um, I think it's Fiala that they got um, had a huge second half, um, but I, in this short series, I'm also going to take Vancouver, and it might be a bit of a homer pick because I want Vancouver to, uh, as a Canadian team, there to, to do well. But I think they, I think in this short series and with the uh, with the with the moves they made at the deadline, bringing in, you know, uh, Tyler Toffoli, I think adds a huge piece on their wing, and um, yeah, I got Vancouver in four. Yeah okay final series paul we've got the calgary flames and the winnipeg jets and to me this might be the best series of them all
1: yeah this is one that's um you know it's really hard to call here it's it's interesting if you look at um their their points they were they were quite close in points but um Winnipeg, I'm looking at it right now, had a had a plus 13 goal differential,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: Calgary was minus five. Yep. Uh, which which might indicate that um, their their records could be a little bit deceiving. Yeah. Um, this is this one comes down to Hellebuck for me. Yeah. Um, that that Winnipeg defense got decimated last off season.
0: I was just gonna say that. Yeah.
1: Oh, they lost Truba. They lost Bufflin. They lost Myers. Surround. Um, Yeah, they just so he's he's just absolutely carried them.
0: Yeah, Um, it's it's amazing.
1: I'm I think man, it's a tough one, but I am gonna go with Calgary and five. I think that this is the year that Goudreau has to really have something to prove, and against a depleted defense, um, it's time to time to prove it.
0: Well, it certainly is time. Him and Monaghan did not have amazing years. Um, oh. To me, of course, the Hellebuck factor, He's there's no question who has the better goaltender in this series. Uh, Calgary's got a better defense, but I think Winnipeg's forwards, uh, their top two lines are a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger, um, maybe a little bit better in the defensive zone. Again, I think this is the best series uh, that we're going to see, and I think it's going five. It's going to be really close, but I'm going to take the Jets. All right. All right, so that's our picks. Uh, how about a dark horse, Paul? I, the reason why I'm going to be going round by round, obviously, because we don't know what the round two, second round matchups yeah. are going to be. So I don't want to start making predictions not knowing this, the, uh, <laughs> the 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 uh, the matchups. But if you could pick a dark horse from each conference, who would it be? Ooh. Um, well, I don't know.
1: How much you would consider them a dark horse? Mm-hmm. But I think um, you know the the brand of I, I think Edmonton, honestly. Like I just yeah. think you know I know they've got the star power, but they weren't you know they're not in the top four of the conference. But I I think that they could. Is that a dark enough horse for you? Yeah, well, for
0: sure. Yeah, they're yeah. not even in the top four. They're definitely a dark horse.
1: I, I think that. You know, if they can pick up where they left off on terms of their power play, um, and if it if there's mistakes defensively with some of those top teams like St. Louis and Vegas, I think they can make a lot of noise at West and maybe come out of that conference.
0: Right. How about the Eastern Conference?
1: <sighs> if it weren't for the Hamilton injury, I would say Carolina. Yeah. Um, but that really, you know, makes me um, wary of them. I'm gonna go. All right, I'll go super dark horse here. All right, and I will go with the Rangers. Wow, Um, not
0: that's you know a lot of people are on that same boat. There's a lot of hype around the Rangers right now.
1: Like, well, okay, would you consider like would you consider Philly a dark horse or no?
0: Uh, yes, I would because you know what? The to me the powerhouses in the East are Boston. Tampa Bay, and Washington. Okay. Philly, so then, Philly, Philly surprised a lot of people in the second yeah. half. I don't, I'm not sold on Philly yet, so yeah, I would consider them a dark horse. Okay, then Philly. Okay, that's a good call. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't really – I was thinking about this as well. Um, I kind of want to say Colorado as my dark horse, which I kind of mentioned the other day but because, again, they're not, they're not in a lot of people's top three maybe. But I can't really consider them a dark horse, I guess. And like you, Edmont I really like Edmonton to go for a nice little run here. And the fact that the fact that they're playing in Edmonton, I, I think, does make a difference for them. And uh, even though they're not with their families, I just the familiarity is definitely a bit of an advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the West, I'm gonna go my dark horse as the Winnipeg Jets. I think they've got a real good chance to go on a run if they can get by Calgary. Um, they might, like I said, they may have the best goaltender in the league right now. And, um, I like their depth up front. Uh, If they can, if Hellebuck can continue to do what he did all year and they, they don't give up three goals each game, I think they got a real good chance. So I'll go with the Winnipeg Jets in the West as a bit of a dark horse. And in the East, my dark horse is the New York Islanders. Mm. Originally, I, I also mentioned, um. I thought that the break was going to do well, do wonders for Washington because I thought you know they really could use the break. Ovechkin uh, could really use some time off. He plays a lot of minutes. He plays a big game. He plays a tough game. Like guys like that, I really think can benefit. But I don't. They're not really a dark horse, so I'll go with the New York Islanders.
1: I mean, yeah, yeah. That's that's a really good pick, and um, I think they're a bit, they're a little bit of an older team as well, maybe. So like that might benefit them as well, having had this break. Yeah. Um, not too old, but, you know.
0: Um, well, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And if they can get any type of goaltending from Varlamov, I think they definitely have a chance. Yeah. Um, all right, Paul, can I ask you one final prediction? Sure. Who's winning the Stanley Cup this year?
1: Um, uh, that's a really good question. I may go bold here and say...
0: You don't have to. I mean, we're going round by round here. I'm just kind of throwing you to the wolves.
1: All right. You know what? I'll, I'll forget. It. I'll just go bold. How about Colorado
0: Avalanche? Good call.
1: Yeah.
0: Colorado Avalanche definitely have a chance. I'm with you on that one. Hmm. All right, Paul. All right. So the playoffs are about to begin. Um, you're a new dad. We're living in a lockdown right now in Hong Kong. Um, what's next for you? What's going on in your life?
1: Uh, well, um, start buck up at work in a week or so. Yeah. And then uh, basically just trying to get my ducks in a row for that uh, yeah. starting. And then other than that, you know, um, just like the rest of us, sort of waiting out uh, what happens in in terms of the, the COVID crisis. And yeah. in Hong Kong, things, as you know, have locked down pretty severely lately. So yeah. hoping that that turns around and then watching hockey and, Other than that, not a whole lot.
0: Well, it's going to be a a couple good months of watching hockey. And, you know, if we have to teach from home for the next couple months, I won't be disappointed.
1: Yeah, no, no, nor will I.
0: (laughs) All right, Paul. That sound brings us to the end of the interview. Will you stick around for Overtime? Sure, sure thing, Chris. All right. Overtime is brought to you by Yardley Brothers Beer. Got yourself some spicy chicken wings or delicious pizza? what better way to wash it down than with some Yardley brothers beer that's right folks we're stoked to have Yardley brothers beer as one of our sponsors these guys are known for their scrumptious sour beers as well as loads of other delicious brews like Lama island ipa hong kong bastard imperial ale your job saison and my favorite machine man pale ale want to get some of this delicious stuff inside your belly you can find it at the globe hill 65 Roundhouse, or Llama Grill. Well, heck, even swing by City Super or the Wanch. They got some bottles there. Find yourself wandering over on Llama Island? Yarly Brothers even have a beer shack over there. Their new location is even closer to the Ferry Pier. They'll be serving coal pints from November. Visit their website for more information at YarlyBrothers.HK.
1: Overtime!
0: <laughs> All right, Paul, I'm going to ask you a series of 10 rapid-fire questions or one-timers followed by one final bonus question for our listeners. Are you ready? Sure. All right. Crosby or McDavid? Crosby. Bowman or Burns? Burns. Price or Rask? Rask. Probert or Domi? Domi. Ovechkin or Malkin? Ovechkin. Lindros or Neely? Lindros. Scott Stevens or Wendell Clark? Clark. Clark. Matt Sundin, Peter Forsberg. Forsberg. Fighting or no fighting? Fighting. Gretzky or Lemieux? Lemieux. Wow, oh, love it. Wow. Not many people have answered Lemieux, Paul. Uh, I like well, it. <laughs> I might be
1: biased because Gretzky ruined a part of my childhood. But, oh, my. You know. We'll have
0: to get into that one on the <laughs> next episode. All right, one final question for you, Paul. What current NHL team has the best chance of building a dynasty and why?
1: Uh, Colorado Avalanche, I would say again, um, because the most important things that you can have in the NHL these days are, A, elite talent um, at important positions. And they have that starting with McKinnon, who's a a perennial MVP candidate. Mm -hmm. Uh, B, young talent, which they have as well. So a lot of their best players, especially on defense are very young. And C, cap space. Um, oh, okay. they, have, they have a lot of cap space, thanks to some really good contracts. Um, so I think they have the best chance. Though what would give me pause is, is how long Kadri can stay at a second-line center level, right. and yep. if he is good enough to win a cup with as a second-line center.
0: There you have it, folks. The Colorado Avalanche, the future dynasty in the NHL. Paul McGoy, thank you so much for coming by and, uh, and chatting with me today. Uh, I love picking your brain about hockey, and I hope that we can uh, do this again sometime. Uh, Thanks a lot, Chris. It was really fun. Awesome. That was Across the Pond, and that's a wrap. All right. Thank you to our amazing sponsors. As always, The Big Bite, Yardley Brothers Beer, Ben Marin's Photography, Sunset Studio, Print House Limited, and Asia Sports Tech. Finally, thank you to Lauren Orris and Fiona Chow who have helped us as advisors and liaisons to Hong Kong's hockey world. To support the podcast, check out our amazing merchandise on our website at acrossthepondhk.com. Check us out on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at Across the Pond HK.